You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Can we talk to the dead? Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by ChristadelphianVideo.org. It would be comforting, wouldn't it, if we could speak with loved ones after they died. But what is the reality of the situation? What does the Bible actually say about communicating with the dead? Does it tell us how this can be done or does it tell us about how they will be resurrected to life? and how we will actually be reunited with them at the establishment of God's kingdom when Christ returns to the earth to establish it. Can we talk to the dead? Thank you for viewing this video. And this is the question that we hope to provide the answer to, relying upon what the Bible has to say. A common factor amongst most religions is that they have a belief in life after death. It's something which many people uh, want to believe. A Gallup poll that was taken some years ago in America showed that over 70% of the population believed in some form of conscious life after death. And so the question arises as to whether the ability to be able to communicate with loved ones which we may have lost is something that is taught in the Bible. Those who look at the Bible and examine its teachings on this is that they either come to the conclusion that there is something within us that remains conscious after we live, or that when we die, we have no consciousness, but At the end of a period of time, there will be a resurrection from the dead and that we will be restored to consciousness. So which one is true? The majority of Christians think of immortality as being something that attaches to the soul of a person that is distinct from their body. But on death, their bodies uh, uh, decay but their souls live on. And that souls uh, then go to uh, a a, a place, the place depending upon the behavior of the individual. This is known as the immortal soul. And yet when we look at the Bible, and if we were to use a computer Bible search tool and put that phrase in, either in the authorized version or a modern version, the likelihood would be that we would not find any instances of it occurring in the Bible. For example, in the authorized version, the phrase never appears. And when we look at the word that is translated soul, it isn't something that suggests immortality. In fact, the reverse is true, because out of over 750 occurrences of that word in the Old Testament, for example, 650 times it's said to be subject to death, in danger of death, or delivered in death. Not once is it said to be immortal. 
In the New Testament, the word that's translated soul literally means breath, which doesn't suggest immortality. If we look at the occurrence of that, the word for soul in the early chapters of the Bible, we find that its first instance does not relate to the, uh, a, a man or woman. It actually relates to living beings, great whales, creatures that move, fish. And so you see that the word there is translated creature. And nobody would suggest that those beings have a, a, anything that is immortal that lives after them. And this provides the basis upon how that word is to be uh, understood when reading through the Bible. When we come into the record of the creation of man, the words are used there that man became a living soul. But that word is exactly the same that was used of the creation of living creatures in the chapter before. Linking it with the word that is used in the New Testament, we see that in the Genesis record of the creation of man, it records that uh, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And it is that breath of life that is there in a man, which is the which is the equivalent word in the Greek New Testament. It's used as equivalent to soul in the Old Testament because there's a, a quotation from the Old Testament in the New. And when it, it, it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ and the prophecy of him, that his soul would not be left in hell or the grave, it uses the word to breathe. And when we look at the Old Testament uh, teaching on death, what the Old Testament says is that, and that man's breath goeth forth, it re he returneth the dust, in that day, very day his thoughts perish. Distinct teaching that on death there is no consciousness that endures after it. And it, man is described as being equivalent with the be beasts. That the uh, man be, being in a border on a abideth not, but is as a beast that per perish. And we can see here that the Bible teaching does not support immortality of the soul. So far, we have not identified any difference between man and animals. But when we go back to the early chapters of Genesis, we find that first of all, <coughs> at the creation of man, the words of God were that, that, that let us make man in our image after our likeness. And there was a special process of creation that we've already referred to <coughs> as far as man was uh, created in that the Lord God formed him from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, a way in which God, as a personality, was involved directly in man's creation. And that phrase there, creating man in our image or our, our likeness, although we do not have time to examine it in detail, suggests to us that what is being said is that man had the capacity to be able to become like God. And that capacity relates to the development of a character that is the same as God's. Other parts of the Bible teach that the purpose of God is that the whole earth should be filled with the glory of the Lord. And that word refers to the character of God. So that the creation record is making a distinction. It is man who has the capacity to be able to exercise his free will 
in order to become a character, to develop that, those characteristics that God has. So how did death occur? Well, as we go through the creation record in Genesis, we see that it records how that the commandment was given to man in order to be able to develop his characteristics. But he chose not to obey uh, God's command. He rather obeyed the, uh, 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 his own thoughts and made his own decisions in a way that was contrary to God's command. He did not have uh, faith in God that God's character was essentially one of love and that God was helping him to develop those characteristics. So it was that the serpent said to Eve, the first woman created, you shall not surely die. But God's uh, sentence upon them was, dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. But that was not a situation that was left there without hope because in God's words to the serpent, he uh, hints at a, of something that would happen in the future that would provide a way out of the effect of this curse. What God says in Genesis 3.15 is that he will get enmity between uh, the serpent and the woman and between the serpent seed and the woman seed. And so it would be that the, the seed of the serpent would, would uh, bruise the head of mankind but the head of mankind should bruise the heel of the serpent. And it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born as the seed of the woman and overcame sin, making those decisions that were right, that his character developed, so that he could really see, say that anybody had seen him had seen the Father. So perfectly was his character manifested in the life that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, lived. This was believed by faith men over the years. Abraham was given very great promises. And one of the promises is that there would be a, an everlasting possession of the land of Israel through his uh, seed, children that would come out of him. And it was revealed to him that this would be happen through Isaac. Now Isaac was born in a miraculous fashion because his parents were so old. And yet God said to Abraham that he should offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. And Abraham was willing to do that with a belief that God would raise Isaac from the dead. He would be raised bodily from the dead and then have children thereafter. And that bodily resurrection and Abraham's faith in it was uh, something that he was commended on uh, in, in the faith that he had. And the writer of the Hebrews refers to that, how that God uh, uh, was able to raise uh, him up from the dead, Isaac from the dead, and this was what uh, Abraham had faith in. Now Abraham believed in a resurrection of the dead. And the Apostle Paul writing to the Galatians says that if we are Christ's, we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And being Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, implicit in that is a belief in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection for man from the dead. How about the nations around Israel? What did they believe in? Well, here's a copy of an inscription 
that shows a, <laughs> the immortal soul rising out of a dead body that it would depart from the dead body and would have its own separate existence. The Egyptians believed in a soul that departed from the body on death. And it may well be that this is a source of beliefs that have caused Christians to have ideas that are not in accordance with Bible teaching. That conclusion is supported by the fact that it wasn't just the Egyptians who, who, who believed in the uh, immortal soul, but it was something that the Babylonians also believed in. In fact, they placed weapons with a body so that the soul could protect itself. And the Greeks, they believed in the immortal soul. There's a quotation there from Socrates. Right? His conclusion was, the soul is most certainly deathless and indestructible. Greek philosophy was based upon the, the flesh and the spirit or the soul being separate. The uh, body itself was corruptible, it was evil. The soul was perfect, it was heavenly. And that uh, false belief is something that has been, uh, uh, has infiltrated the beliefs of Christians. But what about familiar spirits? In the Old Testament, we have reference to familiar spirits. Uh, Saul is recorded as uh, uh, trying to uh, communicate with uh, Samuel, who had died, through a woman who had a familiar spirit. It's quite interesting that that word, familiar spirit, in the original uh, language, is literally the be belly or leather bottle, which is similar to the belly. And the reason it's used about familiar spirits is that the idea is, is that there were those people who were deceived by uh, speaking as if they were speaking from the ground. And they were doing it by a form of ventriloquism. One who speaks from the hollow of the belly, pretending to have co uh, communication with an invisible world. And it, it's translated, the similar word in the New Testament is translated by a word meaning to speak from the ground. The prophet Isaiah refers to this when he says, Thou shalt speak out to the ground, and thy speech shall be low to the ground, and thy voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit. These were Old Testament spiritualists. But the, the fact is that they were performing a form of ventriloquism. And so it is that as far as the Old Testament teaching is concerned, the, those who had familiar spirits were abhorrent in the sight of God. The true teaching of the New Old Testament concerning the death state is that we cannot communicate with the dead. In death there is no remembrance in thee, in the grave who shall give thee thanks? The dead praise not the Lord, his breath going forth, he returneth the earth, in that day his thoughts perish. The dead know not anything, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Passage after passage in the Old Testament supports the idea that when a person dies, they lose consciousness, that there is no consciousness in death, and certainly no ability to be able to communicate with any person that is living. But perhaps a better question to ask is whether we, we can talk with those who have been resurrected. Remember those words that we referred to earlier in Acts 2 about um, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose uh, soul was not left in the grave, 
It's stated in Acts chapter 2 that this relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is true that the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And the Lord Jesus Christ appeared unto disciples after his resurrection. But he appeared in a bodily form. Yet to assure the disciples who saw him after his resurrection that he was not a spirit, that he had flesh and bones. Behold my hands and my feet, that is I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as he see me have. And, and uh, he, he, he provides this hope to the disciples that there was a life beyond the grave, but not a life in the grave. That there would, would be a time when there would be a resurrection from the dead. And the means of that resurrection was through the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Remember what we saw earlier? Um, if he be Christ, then he Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And the Lord Jesus Christ assures the disciples and us. For we have this one who was dead, but is alive and speaks to us through that living word now. And he says to that, that uh, everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. The Apostle Paul had this as the fundamental doctrine as he presented it before the authorities in the first century that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. So what will really happen as far as the resurrection is concerned? The disciples, after sharing 40 days with the Lord Jesus Christ, after his resurrection, uh, 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 saw him ascend up into heaven. And they were looking forward to a time when these things would be brought to pass. And they were reassured by the angels that the same Jesus, which had been taken up from them into heaven, shall so come in like manner as they had seen him go into heaven. They, they, they were looking forward to a time when the Lord Jesus Christ would return to the earth. And the Lord Jesus Christ uh, talks of this, that the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ on his return, and uh, they that hear shall live. But as far as those who are resurrected from the dead, there are those who will be resurrected to an everlasting life, a life of perfection in the kingdom that Jesus will establish upon the earth. But there will be those who have rejected the teaching of scripture, those who have done evil, as it is stated in the, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's described there as a resurrection of damnation. The picture that's given to us is one that although we may not be able to communicate with those who we have lost and loved now, but for all, rather that all those who've responded to the teaching of scripture will be reunited together at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ when he shall return. And to a life that is fundamentally different to that lived by us now. Note the words of Paul that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory shall be revealed in us. It will be for us to enjoy a life that is free from all the terrible sufferings that we see in the world around us and that we experience. The question for us as individuals remains, in what category will we be in that day? Will we be those who are resurrected to life or those who are resurrected to damnation? Thank you for listening to our talk 
and please do click on the Facebook link to gain more information upon this vital biblical subject. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org if you enjoyed the episode then please share it with others until next time may god bless you in your studies and your walk towards god's kingdom amen